In 2015, our theme for the year has been to walk worthy of your calling. And that theme has come from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul, therefore, writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so we have spent a lot of time this year looking at the calling of us as individuals, us as families, uh, of the church here at Northside. And this summer we are working through a series called Laying Aside, Our Call to Be Holiness, Holy. And as we have done that, we have worked to very much distinguish the difference between positional holiness, who we are in Christ, and practical holiness. After we come out of the waters of baptism, we take a journey. And Paul says we begin as babes, but we must mature in Christ. And so these topics are about maturing and growing up in Christ and improving our holiness. As Paul alluded to earlier, these are not things we're doing to earn our salvation. But I will say this morning that this topic is one that Scripture warns very much about. And so we're going to look at these, uh, this topic this morning. Our, our theme verse for the Laying Aside series comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with, persever- with, with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, We have looked at several specific areas. We looked at the process of temptation and how that works. Steve dealt with the holiness process and helping us to understand how to view through the lens of the Bible uh, the behaviors which we're talking about. Then we drilled on down to some very specific behaviors. Uh, we've talked about how we dress and how that affects our holiness and how we can uh, ought to seek to please the Lord in how we dress and how we present ourselves. Uh, secondly, we looked at materialism and how the, our attitude toward money and stuff can affect us and how we ought to make sure we're approaching holiness in our attitude concerning the stuff that we have. Now, let's see. This morning I was given the topic of, oh, oh, good. Oh, this will be fun. Well, I tell you what, let me start by telling you a little parable. As you see on the screen up here is a bird's eye view of our home, 2154 South Millstead. And uh, in our home We have every conceivable blessing that I think our family needs. One of the blessings that my wife thought we needed was a little puppy, a little Shih Tzu by the name of Max. Now, it was my wife's idea. My heart is too cold to want an animal. Uh, But she thought for the benefit of the children that it would be a good idea for us to get a puppy. So we, about a year and a half ago, got this little Shih Tzu, he, he was just uh, barely weaned, and so he's really just grown up with us. And just like I have for every other member of the family within our home, I have attempted to provide that dog everything I think a dog would want or need. Indeed, from a puppy's perspective, I cannot think of anything that he doesn't need or really want that he doesn't have at 2154 South Millstead. He has plenty of food. 
He has plenty of water. He has bazillions of chew toys. He has children who love him and want to play with him. He has people who care for him and want what's best for him. He has a, a bed to sleep in. It's warm and comfortable. He has protection from all the dogs that are in the world. And within the boundaries of my home and our yard, he has bountiful blessings. But those blessings are only found within the boundaries and the confines and the parameters of our home and our yard. Uh, Where do you think that Max the puppy wants to go more than any other place? Outside. Beyond the yard. When we started, we built our home, uh, we built the fence, it was a privacy fence. And uh, our yard is on a slope, and so to keep the top of the fence level, there was a growing gap at the bottom, which wasn't a problem when we didn't have a puppy. Then Max came along, and I decided I needed to fill in the gaps so that he couldn't get outside. Now, from Max's perspective, I was restraining him. I was holding him back. I was keeping him from being happy. But from my perspective, I'm doing what's best for him. Filled all the gaps, and, and he's been wandering outside in the yard looking for any nook and cranny. There on the east side of my yard is Miss Betty's uh, yard. I've talked about her. She has a wrought iron fence. And that has little gaps that are about this wide. Not wide enough for a puppy. But Max is going to try. He's going to try and wiggle through only because he wants what's outside the limits. Beyond those limits are... A lot of danger. The lesson of this puppy parable is this. God's blessings are always found in God's boundaries. Now, this morning we're going to talk about what I'm going to call sexual holiness. And when I even put those two words together, it, you know, I'm thinking, man, there are children in the audience. It's going to be a tough morning. But it really shouldn't be that way. The reason that we have a problem with talking about sexual holiness is because the world has so warped and twisted and misconstrued the first part of that problem. They have taken the gift of God and gone all outside the boundaries. You need to know this morning that God created sex as something to be a holy act between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And within that covenant of marriage... Of the holy matrimony, it, there are many, many blessings. He designed it to be a blessing to a marriage, the blessing to a family, the source of procreation, the source of recreation. There are many blessings that come as a result, but the blessings are only found within the boundaries. So this morning I want to share with you four boundaries that God has given us when we talk about the area of sexual holiness. Now, some of you will see these boundaries as limiting, restrictive, old-fashioned, you might say. But we believe at Northside that God's greatest blessings are always found within God's boundaries. Because God's boundaries are right. Now, if you're turning in your Bibles, and I love to hear the sound of pages flipping, but I also love to see iPhones and iPads out as long as you got them on your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Paul 
deals very directly with this subject. We're going to start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. If you're there, read along with me, not out loud, but just follow along. Everything is permissible for me. Sounds like an attitude of the world we hear today. Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. But I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Now listen to this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Pay close attention. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul is as clear as I think one can be uh, concerning this subject of sexual immorality. He says, flee. This is the, the example I think of is the famous one from Genesis chapter 39. There in the story of Joseph. Now, if you don't know Joseph's story, Joseph was a favored son until all of his brothers decide to sell him into slavery. And so he was not in control anymore. He was sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar noticed that whenever Joseph handled something, it grew, it prospered, it flourished. And Potiphar, being the smart man that he was, said, you know what? How about I let you handle everything? So here he is, a young man, about 17 years old, handsome, good-looking, smart, prosperous. He would have been an attractive man in many respects. And he was to Potiphar's wife. And she pressed him day after day after day. And he refused and refused and refused. Until one day she caught him. There was no one else around. And she begged him, come to bed with me. And he fled out of there so fast he left his clothes behind. Which is never a good position to be in. He ran out of there. He fled. And that's what Paul tells us to do concerning the subject of immorality. Don't dabble with it. Don't tease around it. Don't flirt. Don't loiter. Don't linger. Flee. When you see sexual immorality, be it on your phone or on your television or with your friends or at school or at your place of work, you don't stay around it. You get out of there. If you'll do that, you'll learn to do what God has in mind for you. Now, when we talk about sexual immorality, 
That's kind of a, the term that it's uh, in the English translations. The Greek word there is pornea. Pornea. And it's a blanket term covering lots of things. Fornication, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality. It's all, it's just a blanket term for anything outside the boundaries. Sexual immorality causes lots of problems. Having been in ministry for 17 years, I can tell you, it causes lots of problems. Physical problems, emotional problems, family problems, spiritual problems, relational problems. Sexual sin is not just against your body, it's against the body. Paul says that we are not our own. Joseph understood that he was not the owner. He said, when, when Potiphar's wife tempted him, he said, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, the sin would have been against Potiphar, that's true. But he understand even higher than that was that God owned him and that he could not sin against him. So honor God with his body in all that you do. Number two, pursue purity. Now we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go to verses 3 through 8. And again, I, I need you in your Bibles because what I say this morning is not going to purify you. Any illustration I have is not going to change your life. What will change your life is the Word of God. If you don't know it, if you're not reading it, how can God work in you? Ephesians 5, 3-8, Paul there writes to the church at Ephesus, But among you there must not be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, I want you to stop right there. I thought Ephesians 5, 4 was just a verse I could use by itself. In the context, he's talking about sexual behavior. He's saying, not only should you not have a hint of sexual immorality, you should not talk about it, or joke about it, or do anything out of place. But the only thing that you should do concerning sexual morality is be thankful that God has such a blessing waiting for you. Don't abuse it, don't misuse it, and don't do what God didn't intend with it. We're going to continue. Verse 5, for of this you can be sure. Now listen here, pay attention. This is salvation verse, you got to pay attention. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You can't have the way of Christ and then start to go on your own way, the world's way of sexual behavior. You can't do it. I was talking with a young man one time. He was struggling with homosexuality. I, I just sat him down. I had known him for a while. I said, hold on a second, hold on. I opened Romans 1. I said, you read Romans 1. Read it. Read it out loud. I'm not going to say a word. You read it. He read it. I said, do you believe that? He said, no, I can't buy that. I said, then we got a problem. Because my foundation is on God's word. 
The world's values are going to shift and change all the time. But God's boundaries never change because they're for our best. They're, they're God's best and they're what he wants for us. Um, earlier this week was a wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. Uh, what was beautiful about it was the way that it had been prepared for. And I'm not talking about the ceremony and the lights and the, all of the flowers and everything. That was beautiful. But that wasn't the preparation. They prepared not just for the wedding, but they prepared for the marriage. Drew and Aya. Now, how many of you saw this contract that Drew and Aya made? Anybody see this? Let me read this. This is amazing. It's hilarious. It's amazing, though. I just something I see Drew doing. He made a contract like a binding legal document to govern his behavior with Aya and Aya's behavior with him. It gets so specific. Uh, <laughs> the document shall govern the conduct of Andrew Sandlin, hereforth referred to as I, me, my, etc. And Aya, while in relationship, its purpose is to explicitly formalize expectations for the behavior of both parties. All the dads in the audience are paying attention now. <laughs> Listen to what he writes here. As a man, it is my duty to protect your purity. Consequently, I will adhere to strict rules of conduct while touching you. He goes on in detail. It shall be permissible for me to touch your hands, arms, shoulders, back above your waistline, face and hair, and to kiss your cheek, hand, or forehead without your explicit verbal permission. It shall be permissible for me to touch your shoulders, feet, and legs below the knees, and to kiss your lips with explicit verbal permission. If at any time you have given verbal disapproval of any type of touching and I do not cease immediately, it shall be permissible for you to slap my face. <laughs> now, all the dads in here are going, yes, can I give me a copy of that? Could you put that in the handout, please? Listen, when the ceremony started, there was a sense of holiness and awe in the ceremony. Because you knew that the two people who had come to join together as one took it seriously. They believed in God's boundaries. And now may they enjoy one another in the beautiful union of marriage. The problem, you see, is not sexuality. That was designed by God. It wasn't like in Genesis, God created Adam and Eve, he turned his back and then he turned around and said, uh oh, what are they doing now? He made that, he designed that, he designed you to be beautifully complementary of one another. That is a gift. The problem then is sexual immorality. That's where man deviated from the plan. That is evil, self-serving and meaningless. It will leave you empty. It will cause more problems and heartache than you can ever imagine. God doesn't want that for you. Sexuality is only proper, productive, and good in the holy covenant of marriage. But sexual immorality is absolutely improper and wrong for God's holy people. Paul goes on to say that a sexually immoral person will not go to heaven. 
Now, I don't want you to misunderstand because there's some here who are already just crushed by guilt. I mean, you're going to make your way and hope you don't make eye contact with me after church this morning because of how you messed up. If you messed up, doesn't mean you're a sexually immoral person. A sexually immoral person is a person who sins and refuses to stop sinning. Who only wants to live. Who says, you know, I just can't help it. This is just the way I am. God forbid. God never made a sinful person. God wants us to not sin. He wants us to be pure and enjoy the best, beautiful blessing of sexual morality. You know, there's an entire book in here that I can almost guarantee you'll never hear a sermon on. I've been in the church my whole life and never hear a sermon series on Song of Solomon. Some of the teens are going, oh, this is, I don't know. <laughs> You ever read that book and go, what in the world, God? Did, you, did that slip by you? These people are really serious about gardening. No. There's a reason that's in there. Because God wants you husbands to enjoy the wife of your youth. And he wants you wives to enjoy your husbands. That's a blessing of God. And we have let the world hijack it. We have such a blessing from God found within his boundaries. Let's go to number three. Honor the marriage bed. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 4, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the writer of Hebrews says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. Now listen here. You'll hear people say, I just can't believe God would be judgmental. You take him to Hebrews 13, 4, and listen to what it says. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. He's serious. This is not a light thing. If you take this, if you, if you misuse the gift of sexuality, you are risking your eternity if you do not repent. Your bed is not just a piece of furniture. It is a holy place. Scripture says that place should be honored. Not because of the furniture, but because of the act that happens there. We should protect it and honor it and treat it with utmost respect and reverence. I have a good friend who's very successful in what he does. He's very successful because he works really hard. Sometimes he has to work late. Work late at night up at the office. And occasionally, it would be just he and a female colleague. Just the two of them. And it gave concerns to his wife. Now, mind you, this man is of the utmost characters. Why so successful? He and Darivan, I don't even think, had a thought toward that end. But his wife said, I, you can't do that. If it's just you and her, you, you have to tell your boss or someone else, you've got to make other arrangements. He responds by saying, I would never, I would never do anything like that. It wouldn't even cross my mind. She responds by saying, don't say it would never happen. 
You might not have that intention. She might not have that intention. But if you are, it could happen. That's a wise wife. She is protecting her marriage bed. Because it matters. Because it's a holy place. Sex is a holy act. It is two becoming one physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. You ever look at the page of the paper where people are having all the anniversaries, 50, 60 years? I always wondered why it seems like the farther along you're married, the more you start to look like your spouse. That thought alone keeps Christy crying herself to sleep every night. <laughs> the two become one. You need to understand that it is a special blessing that God has given you. And there is something more than just the act happening. When God created the two to become one, he did a beautiful, wonderful thing. So honor it and protect it. Now I'm going to give you five suggestions, and I'm going to close my Bible. Okay? You need to understand these are Toby's opinions. These are not holy writ. I just want to give you some suggestions. If you're a married couple and things are not as good in the marriage bed as they have been or they could be, I want to give you some suggestions. Because I think the church is where we ought to talk about it. Number one, I think you ought to have 12 minutes every day of uninterrupted connection time with your spouse. Lock the kids up somewhere. Shut off the phones, put them in airplane mode. Turn off every digital device. And just for 12 minutes. You say, that doesn't sound like a lot. In today's world, that's a lot. Just start with 12 minutes. Just make it the bare minimum every day. Twelve minutes is what we're going to do. Just start this week. Said Toby, he's being a preaching Nazi. He said, we got to do twelve minutes. Let's do twelve minutes. Talk to one another. Ask questions of one another. Show interest in one another. You know, like you did when you dated. Number two, take the TV out of the bedroom. Pull it out. There's no reason for it to be there. Honor the marriage bed. The world creeps in our lives in so many other ways. If you got a TV in your bedroom, turn it off. Unplug it. Just do it for a week. Number three, go to bed together. Go to bed together. I mean, figure out when your schedule works and her schedule works and just decide at this time we're going to set an alarm and that means we start the bedtime routine and we go to bed together. And we end the day talking together and praying together, doing other things I can't talk about from the pulpit. Go to bed together. That's not an embarrassing thing to say. That's God's design. Number four, date your spouse. Be consistent. Find a date week, a date month. Do something. You can talk to Mike. He can probably recruit some teenagers for babysitters. But you ought to date your spouse. You ought to never stop. Number five, talk and pray together. Okay? There are so many things that defile the marriage bed, but I didn't want to leave you without any practical steps. You got five, and those are free. I didn't even charge you for that. Defiling the marriage bed is easy to do. It's defiling the med- marriage bed by leaving your cell phone on. Or you need to turn off your ringer. Defiling the marriage bed is by fornication. Having sexual activity with someone who's not your spouse. Defiling the marriage bed means adultery. 
Now, we think of a physical act concerning adultery. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, pointed it to the heart. When you're starting to lust over someone in your heart, you're on the path toward adultery. Defiling the marriage bed includes homosexual behavior. It defiles what God had intended for marriage. I don't care what the court says. Number four, pushing the line of impurity. This is probably the biggest ones I hear in my former job before they fired me. Teenagers want to know, where's the line? How far is too far? You know what the book says? The book says, run away from the line. Don't get near the line. Do not awaken love before it's time. And number five, pornography. We've got to talk about this one. Because it is, it is rooting its way through the church. It is silently killing the spiritual lives of men and women in the pews. It is more freely available. It is more accessible at any other time than in history. And the world's lie is that pornography doesn't hurt anyone. Lie. Lie. Pornography hurts everyone. Pornography hurts the women. Think about this. If you're involved in viewing sexual pornography, you are contributing to the sex trafficking epidemic that's going on worldwide. Why do they kidnap young girls and force them into sex slavery? Why do they do that? Because someone is paying for it. And if you're a part of that problem, you are a part of it and you're hurting someone. You may not see it. You may not know her name, but you are hurting Women. It's the biggest, truest war on women there ever was. You're hurting marriages. You are dividing between you and your spouse. You are putting someone in the marriage bed of your heart that is not your spouse. You are hurting your kids. They are growing up with an unrealistic expectation of what God's gift of sexuality is all about. And mainly, you're hurting you. And you saw the topic this morning. You said, you know, I like, Toby likes visuals and pictures. What's he going to do with this? Let's talk about pornography. I've got a few pictures on the screen, okay? I'm sorry for those of you who are listening at home. You don't fully understand. I need you to tell me which of these is most desirable. All right. Actually, what I want to ask you is, which one of these is fake? Can you tell? I, I need your help on this. If you think A, just raise your hand. If you think A is fake, raise your hand. All right. If you think B is fake, raise your hand. All right. Most of you. If you think C is fake, raise your hand. Couple. All right. D. A few of you. If you are against raising hands in church, raise your hand. All right. Got you there, didn't I? The truth is, all of them are fake. All I did was put four images on the screen. That is not the real thing. Now listen here. If I, in my previous job, would have told the teens, hey, we're going to go get pizza tonight, and then I had them all sit around and stare at that picture, they'd be a little mad. Now follow me here. Pornography is nothing more than addicting you to an image. 
setting you up for a false reality to make you think what you see is some accurate reflection of the real thing. The truth is it's not. It's an image. It's a false image designed to make you have a different expectation of what's right and what's true and what's good. Don't fall for the image. Lastly, live to please God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid, now what he says here, avoid sexual immorality. He doesn't say avoid sexual activity. Because that, of course, is a God-ordained thing in the right context. He says that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathens who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we have told you and warned you before, God called us to did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. God calls us to holiness in all that we do, including our sexual behaviors. You say, "All right, I agree." Or I feel horrifically guilty. I don't know what to do. How does this play out? It depends on who you are and what stage of life you're in. One, if you're single, you need to flee from any hint of sexual immorality. If you are not married, you need to not be committing fornication. You need to not be dwelling in pornography or participating in it. You need to do everything possible to pursue purity. Number two, if you're a couple, if you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend, or if you're engaged to be married, you need Purity. You need to pray together against temptation. You need to read the scriptures. Keep the hand out and read them together and let the word of God do its work in your heart. I would go back to Drew and Aya. They have a beautiful part of their ceremony that I've never seen before. And that is the couple had sponsors. And those sponsors were responsible for pouring into their marriage beforehand and giving them wisdom and counsel. But also, as I understand, pouring into their marriage afterward. If you would please consider, if you've been married ten years more or longer, if you would be willing to mentor a couple, a young couple who's been just newly married or, or just engaged, would you do me a favor? If you've been married 10 years or longer and you're willing to sponsor a couple, willing to be a mentor to them, would you please stand up? If you're a young couple and you need some guidance, some advice, some prayer, some mentoring, look around. This is the church. We want to help you. Thank you, couples. Honor If you're married... Honor the marriage bed with a consistent, holy, God-honoring sexual relationship with your spouse. There's something wrong in that area. You really do. You need to get marriage counseling. Paul said, do not stay apart except for a time so that you may not be tempted. And the fourth category, this is a hard one. 
if you're sexually broken, you say, well, that's good advice if I had listened to it a year or two or five, ten years ago. What do I do now? I will say Northside is the place for you if you truly want to make Jesus Lord. You come to Christ for healing. Two of Christ's best-known stories of mercy involve people with sexually, who were sexually broken. The story of the uh, uh, woman at the well who had five husbands and she was shacking up with a guy. Jesus gave her mercy and showed her the way. The adulterous woman, John, has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. If you're ready to do that, I mean, if you've broken and you say, I just feel like I'm so guilty. I hate coming to church because, because I am overwhelmed on this topic. Go leave your life of sin. Come, I mean, come this morning and repent. Let our elders pray over you. Come find me or an elder afterwards. We'll pray over you. We'll help you. We'll give you godly counsel. If you are broken and ready to be made whole, come to the one who is holy. And finally, if... If you, I need to say something about leaving your life of sin. If you're living with someone who's not your spouse, you need to leave them or you need to get married. Because you're committing fornication. That's just the truth. If you're, if you're addicted to pornography, you need to get some help. You need to come to CR on Thursday nights. And they got a group just for that. Seek sexual holiness going forward. And the final group is if you've been abused sexually, you need to seek healing. If you were abused, you need to know that it is not your fault. That was not your fault. But you have been wounded, and you will not find healing until you can forgive. Not to set free the person who did it, but to set yourself free. If you need healing, let us help. Let us help. Today's big idea is God calls us to sexual holiness. If you strayed outside the boundaries, turn back, repent, come home. Don't be like the dumb dog. Don't seek pleasure where there is no pleasure to be found. Northside is a place where we love you as you are, but we want to help you to be holy. So if you want Christ's full forgiveness, I want to leave you with this verse. 1 Corinthians 6. We started there earlier, but we started in verse 12. I want you to read verse 9 through 11. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by our God. If you need the mercy and healing and cleansing of Christ or of his body, please come. As together we stand and sing.